for those who weren't here last Sunday, we started a Christmas and Advent series where we are looking at the first two chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And last week we studied the genealogy of Jesus Christ and we saw that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who fulfills God's promises and rescues his people. Matthew taught us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that was made to Abraham, that he would bless all the nations. And we also learned that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that was made to David. Jesus is the king whose kingdom that will last forever. And this morning we'll be looking at the origin of Jesus Christ and the events surrounding his birth. And so please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. And I, and I just think it will find, you will find it helpful if you actually open up a Bible or your favorite Bible app and follow along as we read. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had, betrothed, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the message that is in the text we have before us. Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, as we study these truths this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would meet with us by the power of your word and your spirit, that you would change us and transform us. And that as we celebrate this Christmas season, Lord, help us to not forget the true meaning. God with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, it's December 12th. Christmas Day is almost here. I'm sure all of you, like me, have some family coming into town pretty soon. So we're busy. We're shopping, making sure the house looks immaculate, setting up Christmas lights. Well, my lights aren't up yet. <laughs> it's taken me a while. I've had a pretty busy season, but I'll eventually get to them. But this season, which should be a season of rest and peace, ends up 
almost always being a season of busyness, a season of drama. And in this process, we lose what this season is all about. Today, we're going to be studying the origin of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. This is the true story of Christmas. This season was meant to celebrate the most important moment in the history of the world. And yet, we often get done with our materialistic traditions, which I'm not saying are bad. There's there's something. But we wind up too exhausted to even think deeply about what this holiday actually means. And so I hope today encourages you to reorient and prepare you as you prepare your homes and prepare your hearts as we lead up to Christmas. And so we're looking at the birth of Jesus. Both the Gospel of Luke and Matthew um, have this uh, foretelling of Jesus' birth. Luke tells the story from the standpoint of Mary. And as you could see in the text here, uh, Matthew tells the story from the standpoint of Joseph. And as we mentioned last week, we're often tempted to skip over sections of Scripture like the genealogies, right? But we are also prone to mentally check out when reading things that we're familiar with. How many times have you all heard these verses read? How many times have you all heard a sermon on these verses? Which frightens me, (laughs) because I don't have anything new to share. Um, But I'm thankful for God's word and his spirit, uh, because he will illuminate things that you need to hear. This is one of those stories, though, that we're so familiar with that we've become immune to the scandal that are in the, that's in the verses in front of us. We've become immune to the glorious truth laid out in the pages before you. Every, every preacher says that the, the text that they're preaching on that Sunday is the most important text in the Bible. It's like the thing that preachers do. And I guess I'm going to be guilty of that this morning. But seriously, this is one of the most important texts in the scriptures. The virgin birth is crucial to what we believe as Christians. And so the main point of my sermon this morning, if you were to walk away and take one thing with you, it would be this. It's that the virgin birth reminds us that salvation comes from God alone. In the text, we will see that the baby born to Mary and Joseph brings salvation from sin. This baby is no ordinary baby. He is God himself, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. God comes down in order to be with us and save us from our sins and the person and work of Jesus Christ So the virgin birth reminds us that salvation comes from God alone. So Matthew begins his section with, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph and Mary were betrothed. 
That's not a word that we often use in our day. And the only thing that really comes close to it uh, is our modern-day engagement. But using that analogy falls pretty short in really what is happening in this serious moment in the lives of Mary and Joseph. A betrothal in Israel was much more permanent, much more significant than the modern-day engagement. In a sense, the couple was actually treated as if they were already married. But they were not living together or enjoying the privileges of being married, but they were considered married. And in fact, the only way to call off the betrothal process would be to get an official divorce. It's not like today where you can just decide that you don't want to be with that person anymore, hand back the ring, and it's all over. The covenant can only be broken by divorce. And this would surely mean that there would be personal, familial, social, and even financial consequences by breaking off the betrothal. And during the betrothal process, sexual activity was considered adultery. And this brought shame and sometimes even brought about the death penalty. This was serious. Joseph and Mary were committed to one another. And so as you consider the text this morning, imagine Joseph's reaction as he gets the news that Mary is found to be with child. She's pregnant. How? We don't know how Joseph found out. Did he see the baby bump? Was Mary starting to feel sick in the morning? Did a relative or friend tell him? Did Mary tell him? We don't know, and we shouldn't speculate much. All we know is that Joseph knows that Mary is pregnant, and he knows that the baby isn't his. It's a scandal. Could you imagine the weight of that news on Joseph? Also, keep in mind that during this time, people got married at a young age, and so Mary is most likely 13 to 14 years old. Joseph is probably around 18 to 20. The betrayal that Joseph felt must have made him furious and yet brokenhearted at the same time. He loved Mary. He wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. How could she do this to him? If she was the one who told him, could you imagine the shock and disbelief as she tells Joseph that she didn't sleep with anyone and that this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Don't try to over-spiritualize the moment. Joseph would have been as skeptical as we are if someone came up to us and said that their pregnancy was a result of a conception by the Holy Spirit. But that's why Joseph reacts the way that he does. Take a look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And some of you may ask, why does the text call Joseph her husband? Well, again, remember the betrothal process was serious. And so if you were betrothed, you were already considered husband and wife. And Matthew describes Joseph as a just man. Considering this situation, Joseph didn't see a way out. Joseph didn't see a way to still be able to marry Mary. He was a just man. 
In other translations, it says that he was a righteous man. He was a man who wanted to live according to God's ways because he was a man after God's own heart. And here Joseph is in a difficult situation. He's most likely hurt emotionally. But because he was a just man, he knew that in order to follow God, he had to break off their vows. And this was serious. In Joseph's mind, Mary had committed adultery. And so according to the custom of the day, there were two options for him. So the first option would be to get a public divorce, and there would be no doubt Mary would be shamed in public and expelled from the community. So that's option one. Option two would be to hand Mary a certificate of divorce with a few witnesses around them, and then it would be over. Joseph was a just man. He was a man of the word, and he knew what had to be done, according to the facts laid out in front of him. Joseph didn't know that Mary didn't commit adultery. He had to call off the marriage and get a divorce. But not only was Joseph a just man, take a look at the text again. He was kind. Even with all the emotions and feeling betrayed, Joseph was kind. He could have considered getting revenge by getting a divorce in public and and having Mary being publicly shamed, but no, he loved Mary. He was unwilling to put her to shame. Unwilling to put her to shame. We love drama in our culture, right? There are television shows that capitalize on this. Many of them who love to tell the story of the victim and then get us to a point of where we want revenge for that victim, right? And as Christians, we too get caught up in this and we forget about grace. We forget the gospel. So so we should be amazed at the kindness of Joseph. He was unwilling to allow Mary to be shamed in any way even though he was under the impression that she cheated on him. He resolved to divorce her quietly. A decision was made according to the facts that he had. Joseph was a kind and just man. And the character we see here in this text should teach us. Why was he kind and just? Because he loved God's law and he loved God. What does that lead to? A love for people. So Joseph was concerned for God's law, and this is why he knew he had to divorce Mary quietly. But he also loves God's people, and so he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. How are you doing with these qualities? Are you just? Are you kind? Do you have a concern for God's word? When you know something has to be done, even though it's difficult and you really don't want to do it, but you know God's word is telling you to do it, do you act upon that? Are you obedient to the scriptures? Are you a kind person? Not meaning do you smile at people in public or you're nice to people when it's socially appropriate, but what about it when they betray you? kind? 
A quick way to test this out. How are you when someone cuts you off in traffic? Do you let them know, go and just go up? Oh, they probably need to be somewhere quicker than I do. Or do you act like you own the road? These qualities that, of Joseph teach us this is how God wants his people to behave. Joseph was just and kind, and so he resolved to divorce Mary quietly. And so in verses 20 through 21, we see that God comes to Mary's rescue. Joseph agonized over what to do. Notice that the, in the text it says that he, as he considered these things, we can assume that he is thinking and he's praying about what God would have him do next. Matthew Henry says in his commentary, it is the thoughtful, not the unthinking, whom God will guide. When Joseph was at a loss and had carried the matter as far as he could in his own thoughts, then God came in with advice. When we are seeking direction, it's unwise to just mentally check out and let go and let God. That's bad theology. God works as we process the situation in front of us, as we process his word and what he would have us do. So Joseph was probably meditating on God's word, trying to determine what the next step would bring the most glory to God. And as he considered these, these things, God answers in a dream. Look at verse 20. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And notice what the angel calls him. Joseph, son of David. This points back to the genealogy. Joseph is in that line. Joseph comes from the line of David, and this is important. Then the angel says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Whatever fears or struggles Joseph had at this moment must have been relieved by this word from the Lord. Mary wasn't unfaithful. The pregnancy was not a result of adultery. Mary was still a virgin. This is good news. And while the fear may be relieved, it probably, probably was still difficult for Joseph to understand the words, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And that's hard for us to understand, right? We kind of understand it a lot more than maybe those in the first century did, just because we have all these theologians that has helped us over the years and, and writers of songs that have written really beautiful Christmas songs that explain what this means. But it's hard for us to understand, conceived by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen all the time. It actually only happened once. It's a great mystery. It's a supernatural event, but extremely important and essential to what we believe as Christians. We read, read the Apostles' Creed that was intentional this morning because it summarizes the Christian belief. We read, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and an earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. All Christians believe this. All Christians should believe this. 
This is essential. And two times the Holy Spirit is referenced in these verses. And both those times He's responsible for bringing life into Mary's virgin womb. Supernatural. What a mystery. We don't know precisely how the baby came to be in Mary's womb, except for the fact that the conception was from the Holy Spirit. J.C. Ryle gives great wisdom in thinking about the virgin birth. He says, Let us not attempt to explain things which are above our feeble reason. Let us be content to believe with reverence and not speculate on matters in which we cannot understand. Enough for us to know that with Him who made the world, nothing is impossible. Amen? Nothing is impossible for the One who made the world. And think about it. All that we believe as Christians are based on faith. Faith that God created the world out of nothing. Faith that as Jesus died on the cross, He took away our sins. Faith that He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And faith that He's coming back. Let us be content to believe that miraculously Jesus was conceived in the Virgin Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. And let us believe in awe of our great God. Let's look again at verses 20 through 21. So the angel tells Joseph not to fear to take Mary as his wife. She's still a virgin. Don't break off the betrothal. And she's going to have a son. No ultrasound machines back then, right? But she's going to have a son. And the angel tells Joseph to name the baby boy Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Joshua which means the Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. Jesus is given this name because He will save His people from their sins. Just notice there, the people are His. And He is their Savior. And remember, Matthew is writing to Jews. And the Jews knew that according to the Old Testament... It is only God who saves. Isaiah 43 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. This is what the Jews believed. Only the Lord, only God is their Savior. And many of the Jews who were expecting this Messiah to come were expecting a king who would overthrow their Roman Oppressors. But here in Matthew, the angel declares God's agenda. And that's not the agenda. Jesus will not save his people 
from physical enemies. He will save them from their sins. This is our greatest need, to be saved from our sins, because our sins have separated us from God. All mankind is under the curse of sin, and Joseph is to name the baby Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Think about the Christmas song, Joy to the World. One of the verses says this, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The curse is everywhere. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But he comes to make his blessings flow. And what is this blessing? It's salvation. It's redemption. It's reconciliation to God. Psalm 137-8 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. God does not redeem His people from some of their iniquities or sin. He redeems His people from all of their sins. The boy is to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The incarnation this miraculous conception where Mary becomes pregnant, not naturally, but supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit, making her a virgin, fulfills a prophecy. Part of the proof of Christianity is that these prophecies actually come true. God shows Himself to be God. God shows Himself to be this sovereign ruler over the history of the world by telling us that something's going to happen before it happens. History and events don't just occur. They happen because God sovereignly planned them to occur. And all throughout Matthew's Gospel, there are times where Matthew will take a second like this. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, there's like 40 of them to point out how a past prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. And from these, we are reminded that God is in control and that he keeps his promises. But this specific prophecy comes from Isaiah 7, 14. And it was prophesied 800 years before Jesus was born. 800 years before Jesus was born. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, you may be asking, didn't the angel just tell Joseph to name the baby Jesus, and now we have another name? What's the point of that? You will see this often in the Bible. The calling of a name is less about how you would actually address that person, but more about who that person is. So here in the text this morning, we are seeing 
He will be named Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. And He will be named Emmanuel. He will be called Emmanuel because He is God with us. This is mind-blowing. At least it should be. The child in Mary's womb is God Himself. The story of Jesus' birth is the story of God actually coming down into the world in which He created. Entering into our humanity to dwell amongst us, to be with us, to save us from our sins. This actually happened. This isn't a myth or a fairy tale. God actually condescended and came to live on this earth. Calvary, we should be in awe of that. Not just during the Christmas season. Every moment of our lives. The God who created this world, the God who created you and me came to live on this earth with a purpose, though. With a purpose. And it wasn't just to be born a baby. And Matthew's not the only Gospel writer to speak of this. In Luke's Gospel, the angel says to Mary that the child to be born will be called Holy. Another name. Holy. The Son of God. God Himself. And then you guys know John. The beginning of John, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is speaking of Jesus. The Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. And then later on, in verse 14, John speaks of the incarnation and says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came down. They shall call His name Emmanuel. God with us. And this gives us greater clarity to the significance of this virgin conception. Jesus, the baby to be born, is both God and man. It's kind of mind-blowing, right? God and man. If Jesus had not been born a human, we would not believe in his full humanity. And if his birth was like any other birth, being born of a human father and mother, we would not believe in his full divinity. The virgin birth is necessary for both a real human nature and a real divine nature. To be clear, Jesus wasn't half man and half God. No, he was fully man and fully God. But why is this important? Why is it important for Jesus to be both fully man and fully God? Because we believe that, we talk about that, but a lot of times we don't think why it's important. And the Heidelberg Catechism does an incredible job of explaining this to us in terms in which we can kind of understand. And yet it's a mystery. And it really involves faith to truly believe it all. But the first question is, why did he have to become fully man without sin? Jesus, and this is the answer, Jesus had to be man so that he could identify with us, suffer in our place, and sympathize with us in our weakness. He had to be sinless because a sinner cannot pay for the sins of others. 
But why also he, must he be fully God? And the answer to that is Jesus had to be fully God so that he could satisfy God's wrath and secure for us true righteousness and life. Pretty great summary. This is the beauty and the mystery of the incarnation. God provided an answer. God provided a solution. God provided a savior. And that savior is God himself. Emmanuel, God with us. All right, back to the text. So Joseph, Joseph has this dream. The angel tells him to not fear to take Mary as his wife and call the baby boy Jesus. Now look at verses 24 through 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Here we see the obedient faith of Joseph. God tells him what to do, and he does it. We often think of this being a fairy tale ending, especially for Mary and Joseph, right? Joseph takes Mary as his wife means they get married, right? They get married. And of course, they have to have, wait to have intercourse um, until the birth of Jesus. But it says that he knew her not until, which means they actually enjoyed all the privileges that come with being married and honoring God. And Joseph gives Jesus his name, which means that Joseph becomes Jesus' adoptive father. And Joseph is the son of David, right? So Joseph allows Jesus to become a part of that line, the line of David. So it fulfills the requirements of the genealogy. What a happy ending, right? What a happy ending. This marriage, the baby was born, they named him Jesus. It's easy to forget. That while the couple does get married, Mary's still pregnant. And so to those in the community, it looks like either Mary was unfaithful to Joseph or that they slept together during the betrothal process. Both of those things meant adultery. So to the community around them, they thought there was sexual immorality involved in the lives of Joseph and Mary. Most likely, Mary and Joseph suffered insults and mockery for the rest of their lives. In fact, in John's Gospel, the Pharisees mock Jesus for being born of sexual immorality. Word got around. It was not easy for Mary and Joseph. It wasn't a fairy tale ending. But their willingness to take God his word and risk their reputations and their lives for the sake of his kingdom is a model for us as we trust God at his word here in the incarnation. A mystery, a beautiful mystery, something supernatural as they risk their lives and reputations for the sake of the kingdom, we must be willing to, say, to risk our lives for the sake of of his kingdom as well. But there are probably some here or online who disbelieve in the virgin birth 
disbelieve that it happened or the possibility that it could ever happen. There may be some of you here who don't even think that you're a sinner in need of saving. Well, it's not my job to convince you. It's my job to share with you this truth of God's word and to trust that he will work on your heart. So my encouragement to you is to think about these things. That's what this Christmas season is about. And while it may seem unbelievable for the virgin birth and the fact that a man who was both fully God and fully man died on a cross for the sins of his people, they are both true. And they present to us good news and bad news. The bad news is that we are all sinners. You may be here and think that you're a good person because you're not as bad as others. But the truth is that we all have broken God's law. We are condemned in our sin. And the punishment we deserve is death. And yet by God's grace, we're still breathing. Meaning he's a merciful God. He's patient, patient with you and he's patient with me. And the good news is found in this text in the virgin birth. Because if Jesus was a normal man, born in a normal way, he could not be the Savior. He could not be the Savior that we need. Without the virgin birth, we eliminate what Jesus came to do. Jesus was born to die. God uses a miracle in order to bring a miracle into the world. The virgin birth explains how Jesus could be divine and human and sinless all at the same time. A human cannot save us. Think about it. There's billions of us. What does that mean? That there's billions upon billions upon billions of sins to be forgiven. We need God to forgive our sins. Our Savior needs to be divine. But our Savior must also be human, too. We need someone like us, with our flesh and our weaknesses, in order to have a mediator who can sympathize with us. And he also must be sinless. The one who comes to save cannot be in the same situation as us. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The virgin birth explains how we can have a divine, human, and sinless Savior all at once. This is good news, right? And as we reflect on the coming of Jesus this Christmas season, we cannot just stop at the birth, though. Because the birth immediately points to the cross. Even his name, Jesus, how does he save his people from their sins? By the birth? No. By giving up his life for those he came to save. The angel's message to Joseph about salvation from sin finds a counterpart at near the end of Matthew. This is beautiful. Matthew writes, so keep on thinking of Jesus, his name, what it means. 
the one who will save his people from their sins. Matthew writes, and he took a cup. Jesus took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death on the cross accomplished and enabled the forgiveness of sins. And this is why we celebrate his birth. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, in order to reconcile sinners to God. But Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, in order to guide us, to comfort us, to expand his church. Jesus is with us in our pains and our sorrows because we've been united with him. And if we've been united with Him, and if we've been changed by Him, and if we've been saved by Him, then His mission should be our mission. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus commands His people to go out into all the world and make disciples. To proclaim that God came down. To proclaim the message that Jesus saves His people from their sins. Literally, the last line of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 20, says this, And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. God with us. Jesus is with us always. He's named Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. He's named Emmanuel because he's God with us. His ability to do what he does is derived by who he is. It is only God who could accomplish the saving of his people. So Calvary, those who aren't members of Calvary, all of you here, all of you listening online, strive to be faithful and obedient believers like Joseph and Mary. But more importantly, Marvel and stand in awe of the God who came to be with us and save us from our sins. The virgin birth reminds us that salvation comes from God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, forgive us. Because even during this time of Advent where we are getting ready to celebrate your birth, we actually aren't preparing our hearts for that. We're preparing for family to come and stay with us in our homes. We're preoccupied by sales online. We're preoccupied by the distractions in this life. Father, we pray that you would Remind us over and over again of the great miracle of the virgin birth. Remind us that salvation comes from you and you alone through Jesus, the one who came to save his people, through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In his name we pray, amen.